Welcome to the Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Become an authority, build a community, and sell with respect. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome everybody to the January 2012 episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you've been a subscriber for a while, you might notice something different. This used to be the Expert Gold Podcast. I used to publish a short audio program every couple of weeks and now I'm changing the format to a monthly one-hour show. I'll still be the host and I'll still be sharing my own ideas, but this time we'll have time to go into more depth and I'll also be interviewing other experts who can help you grow your business and have a more enjoyable work life. So let's start by saying Happy New Year and all the best for personal and professional success in 2012. 12. Coming up in this month's edition, I'll be speaking with Erica Bagshaw about her powerful six-step goal-setting process. I'll explain how the internet's changed your business and, of course, what you need to do about it. We'll look at how to get started with webinars. And, I know this is a big problem for many of us, we'll talk about how to deal with an overflowing email inbox. So let's get straight into it with the interview with Erica. It's the start of the year. This is the time when many people start thinking about planning for the year ahead and setting their goals. But I know it's true that often we don't achieve the goals that we've set. I've been lucky because for some years now I've been privileged to work with Erica Bagshaw from the Alignment Group. Erica's got a unique goal-setting process that actually works, even in uncertain times like this. A couple of years ago, Erica and I recorded an audio program which is called Creating Certainty, and in this she explains her process in detail. Now, I don't have time to include the entire one-hour program here, but here's an extract which will give you enough to help you set your own goals for 2012. Today we're going to be talking about Erica's, well, you know, the word unique is bandaged around a lot, but I think it's fair to call it a unique goal-setting process. Thank you. So, Erica, goal-setting is something that everyone wants to do, and a lot of people listening to this program will have actually done goal-setting in the past, and most of them, I'll be willing to bet, have found that they've had mixed results of it. Maybe some of their goals did actually uh, did come true, and some of them, they found difficulty achieving them. What's the problem with goal-setting mo- for most people? There's a number of issues that crop up, Gihan, when people decide to start goal-setting. One of the most common ones I find is uh, a lack of clarity on what it is that they want. So sometimes the first challenge is to clearly define what it is that they're wanting. second piece is I find people go straight from, well, I want this, to the question of how. And as soon as they leap to the question how, and they can't, if they, if they can't conceive of how that is possible, they'll diminish their goal or give it up. So the process that I use actually doesn't use the question how. I find that a fairly useless question in the process of goal setting. The other thing that um, can happen with goal setting is that because of the way the process has been structured, it feels too rigid, it doesn't feel fun, it feels like a chore and people get put off. Sometimes the way it's put together, people can get demotivated halfway along or it doesn't have enough flex in it to allow for life events happening. And so it becomes a very either-or scenario. So there's all sorts of challenges that crop up when we start facing really being constructive around what it is we're creating, what it is that we want in our life. Mm. Okay, so let's work through this process, Erica. I think the best way to do it is um, let's have a quick overview because I know you've got this six-step process. So quickly, if you, if you run through the six steps and then we'll drill through them in, um, in more detail. Okay, great stuff. 
So the six-step process, um, the first step is just to describe what it is you want. So it's the objective. What's the objective? What is it that you want? In as much detail as you can without getting too hung up on it. The second question is, why do you want it? What's the purpose for this? What's important about this? You get clear on that. The third step is, how will you know that you've achieved it? What will the evidence be? The fourth step is the input. What resources, what skills, what assistance, what time, what do you need for this to happen? What have you already got and what do you need to source? So that's the input, that's the resources stage. The fifth step is what's going to stop it? What will interfere with it? What are you afraid of? What do you doubt? All of those sorts of things come in at the fifth step. And then the final step is the activity. What are the steps you're going to take? What are you going to commit to to ensure that this does happen? And there's very specific reason for the order in which we do this. Okay. Okay. So in summary again, so what do I want? Why do I want it? How will I know I've got it? What resources do I need or have? What could stop it or get in the way? And what are the action steps? That's it. Okay. This is, this is something that we would use for each one of our goals. Mm-hmm. Is there a limit on how many goals we should set at a certain time or do you only work on one at a time? And, or is there a, what, what do you recommend? Is there an optimal number? My recommendation, I, I learned a long time ago, something called a 10 most wanted list. And to always have a list of 10 things that I'm working on. Um, and now they can be short-term, medium-term, long-term goals. It doesn't really matter. You just keep a list of 10 things um, that you're working on. I've found that a useful thing. And then once you've completed one, you put a new one up there. You can have more than 10, but at any point in time, at least 10 to be working on. I also um, I think it's useful to think five years out, three years out, one year out, six months out, those sorts of thinking as well and, mm-hmm. and just do be actually forward projecting a little bit with some of your goals. So some of your goals need to be that sort of long-term-y feel and then also medium and short-term. Okay. Okay, I was going to ask you about what you meant by medium and short, but I guess mm. a, a six-month goal or even a three-month goal might be a short-term goal. Yeah, and it really depends on the people. Some people are incredible, um, incredibly good forward thinkers and they will be thinking 10 to 15 years, and particularly when you're thinking of finances and mortgages and houses and career, those sorts of things, you do want to be projecting quite a way out, um, whereas um, health and fitness, you tend to be looking at you know, one to two years. Right, so. right. And actually, um, when you first said when, we, when you think five years or 10 years or 15, my immediate reaction was, well, how do you know what life's going to be like? But we've had that conversation that you don't, that the, even if the foundations have shifted, we can still set long-term goals. Yes. And I guess we can adjust them as we go along as well. That's right. See, uh, why people have such difficulty in times like these is because they get stuck on how. Mm-hmm. They don't see how it can happen, and that's actually not our job. Our job isn't to find out how our decision is. Uh, uh, our job is to really be very clear on what it is and why and all of the other questions that come through the goal-setting process, the how appears. It's quite interesting. It appears along the way, and as long as we're flexible with it, the how changes. Mm, and in fact, we have to be flexible, don't mm. we? Because otherwise, it's hard, it's hard to go along rigidly and assume that everything is going to be the same as, as it was when you started setting your goal. Because yeah, it's, never it's not. Yeah, the one constant has changed. Mm. All right, so let's work through this, Erica. Um, so, Erica, so I've got this. I've got this goal in mind. So, do you think it'd be useful if, let's say, we work through your process using this particular goal? 
Gihan, I think that would be a really good idea to work with something that you actually want to achieve. Yep, good. And we'll ask other questions along the way. I'm, I'm sure we'll go off on tangents as we're talking. Fantastic. I think that's a great idea. Good. Okay, I've got to go. A couple of years ago, I went to Prague, um, loved it, went there for a holiday, and I thought it'd be quite nice to actually go there for you know, four to six weeks, and because I've got a business that's mobile, all I need is a laptop and a phone and internet access, really, mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, why not go to Prague and just work there, rent an apartment for four to six weeks, work there, have a bit of a working holiday. Perfect. So let's take that as a goal. Okay. So you've just described that fairly nicely. Mm -hmm. um, so the goal is to go to Prague, work, working holiday, four to six weeks. Yep. When were you thinking of that? Uh, okay, so for putting a time frame on it, let's say the first half of next year. So within the next six months. Within six months. Do, do I need to give an actual date? No. Okay. At some point you'll need to decide a date, yes. but that can be in your action list. Right, okay. Yep. Does that give you a reasonably clear picture in your mind of what this is, what this goal is for you? Yes, pretty clear. Pretty clear? Okay, good. That's probably as clear as you need to be at this stage. The rest, more information will, will come through as we ask the other questions. Okay, so, so this is the what do I want question. Yep, so this is the first one. Okay. So the next step, the next question is what's the purpose for this? What's important about this for you? Partly I have a friend who lives in Prague and uh, I went to visit him when I first went so it'd be nice to hang out with Brandon again so that's mm -hmm. definitely one of the reasons. And the other one is just I really, love, I really loved Prague and being there for a week was not enough and I figured that if I'm there for a month, especially if I'm working and, and playing, I would get plenty of playtime and still be able to you know, run a sustainable business. And I guess another, uh, a third reason, Erica, is... Just to prove that it's possible, just to prove to myself that what I'm saying about me running a portable business, having contractors here looking after the day-to-day -day running of the business is actually true, and this would be a really good test of that. Nice. Yep. Okay, so what I've got here is I've just added some information back in, so I've been writing while you've been speaking. So as part of your what do I want, I've got Prague-based, um, so you'd be Prague-based with side trips, a working holiday, four to six weeks, run, and running a sustainable business during that time was one of the elements I just picked up that you just stated. Mm -hmm. um, you want to experience this within six months. You're going to go alone um, and use your technology to run your business. Now, what's important about that for you is spending time with your friend, um, spending longer in Prague because you'd spent a week there and you thought a good month there would be a, um, a great experience and that you want to prove that you can run a portable business. Yes, so that's um, very well listened, which this is why you're such an excellent coach, Erica. <laughs> Thank you, Gia. <laughs> um, you know, one of the other things that you just, you just, I just realised as a result of just doing this is that you know, it's an important part of the goal that Brandon is part of that. Mm. I'd feel much less motivated to go if he wasn't there. Yeah. The other things would still be important and they would still be interesting enough for me that I might go someday, but given that Brandon's not going to be there for a long time, that's probably one of the reasons why I'm keen to do it in the next six months. Okay, so spending time with Brandon while he is still there. Yes. Good, excellent. Okay, so I think we're ready for the next step, which is the evidence, which is pretty easy with this one. Um, we're looking for... Um, what, um, how will you know it's actually happening? Mm. 
Okay, so are we talking about here the evidence of the goal having been achieved or that evidence that I'm getting closer to it? No, that, ha that it has been achieved. Right. And there's, a, there's some goals within goals with this. Mm -hmm. so, so not only the, the actuality that you've been to Prague for four to six weeks, so that's fairly clear, you'll know that you've done that because you yes. will have actually physically been and you'll have flight tickets and... and financial transactions and all of that sort of thing would be done and you have photos of you and Brandon, etc. So that's the sort of evidence that you would have collected there. Right. But there's some other evidence that you're going to be looking for because the key in a goal is this: the second question, the why is this important, the purpose for this, is actually the bottom line stuff. And you really want to look for evidence that that has been fulfilled because the reason is what keeps you motivated and the reason is the point. So, so if, if you really understand that, that the reason for any goal that you set in motion is actually the point and it's that that needs to be fulfilled, what you'll find is sometimes the, the what do I want piece changes. Right, that's interesting because that's, and that's quite different from most goal setting processes. They decide what you want and keep, your, you know, keep that as the main focus. Yeah. It's and, and yes, most of the time that's right, but um, I find when, when people say, oh, I just, I'm not keen about that anymore, I, I really don't want that anymore, do I really have to keep going and keep fulfilling it? And when I track it back in and say, well, hang on a minute, when you first set this goal up, what was important about it for you? Why did you want that? And when we dug into what their purpose for it was, we discovered quite often that they'd actually fulfilled that in a different way. Therefore, the goal itself was irrelevant. Yes, okay. So that was just setting a temporary signpost based on what you knew at the time. That's right. Okay. So are we ready for step three? Okay, three, go on. What's yeah. the evidence that you've now identified you can use, Gihan? Okay, so as I said for this one, it seems pretty clear that I will know because I'm, I guess I'm in Prague. That's probably, yep. um, I guess that's when I'll know. So. Okay, good. Yep. Now part of what you said was so important about this is actually spending time with Brandon while yes. he's still there. Yes. So some of that will be that you'll be spending time with him. So I'm yes. guessing that you will have designed some things to do together and agreed those sorts of things and you'll have some photos and experiences to share. Yes. Okay, good. So I should... Okay, so I've got them that on my list as well now. Okay, good. Now, the other thing is, how will you know that you have successfully been running a portable business? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, I think that if I was... I reckon the, the easiest test for me, Erica, would be for me to say that, you know what, this is actually no harder than me doing exactly what I'm doing, but in Perth. Okay. So that would be the test. It doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't problems or that my team doesn't need to call me for help because they'll do that all the time anyway. Sure. So I'm not trying to get away from the business for six weeks. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just trying to prove to myself that living anywhere around the world, I can run the business just as effectively as, as if I was here. Yep, great. And, and the revenue will be the same, all of those sorts of things will yes, stay pretty much right. the same. All your indicators will be the same. Yes. Okay, great. Good. Good. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that, that is right. That's, that's the way to test it. Yes. Lovely. So we've got a really nice, robust piece of evidence with that. Okay, okay. are we ready for step four? Let's go into it. All right. So step four is the next stage, input. What resources do I need for this to happen? Okay, so when you say resources, is mm -hmm. it knowledge, is it time, is it skills, is All it money? All of the above. Okay, right. All, All right. of it, yes. 
Okay, so there's some money required. Yep. I think that's okay, and I can. You know what that is. I can is? sit down and quantify that, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be all right. So I've, I can. I've got funds for that. Yep. I guess there's some time involved in the preparation mm-hmm. uh, before I get there. So there'll be time looking into travel arrangements and finding internet access, finding an apartment that I can rent for a short-term lease, things like that. Yep. And uh, visas and things like that. Um, I guess that'll be the time issue. Mm-hmm. In terms of skills, I probably don't require any further skills. Um, perhaps a little bit more training up of my team. Okay, There's yeah, a little good. bit of that. Yeah. And there perhaps is a little bit of time for me to, to document some of the processes a little bit more clearly so that I guess one of the differences will be we won't be in the same time zone for as much. Yeah. So there'll be a little bit more responsibility for them to handle things independently. Even Sure. Okay, so they're probably the resources that are that I need and uh, well I guess resources that I have I have a lot of them already okay good who else needs to be involved in this um, certainly the team that I work with um, yeah. I will certainly be letting my clients know I'm well in advance of this happening mm-hmm. because there may be things that they'd like to get into place before I leave even if it's not even if I don't think it's necessary they might that's it um, there will be fewer face-to-face well there won't be any face-to-face meetings during that time so if any of that needs to be arranged. We need to do that beforehand. Mm-hmm. I guess that's it. And then and there's Brandon. a normal... Uh, Brandon. Yes, of course, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so it would be a good idea for me to tell him so that he doesn't so go off and on a skiing holiday somewhere. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay, good. So does that feel okay? So you know what you've got, what you need, who else needs to be involved with that? Yes. Um, the next step is interference what will stop this what could get in the way okay so for me i guess one of the things that could happen is that it's just easy for time to go by and for me to do nothing because i don't need to do it Hmm. Um, there's no pressure on me to do it it's one of those things that i have to be proactive about so it's easy for i guess life to get in the way Mm -hmm. that could certainly stop it um there is i guess for there's a small part of me that thinks about the economic uncertainty and what that means I don't think that's a big enough issue for me to stop me from doing this particular goal, but I can imagine for lots of people it would be, mm-hmm. like not knowing where their business is going to be in six months' time. Yep. Uh, I think those are really the two that would that, that come to mind. Okay. All right. So in relation to those, if you look back through your goal, look back at what you say you want and why you want it, mm-hmm. is there anything there that needs bolstering so that you stay motivated and it's less likely for life to get in the way. Okay, so I guess one thing is that Brandon isn't going to be around there forever. Yeah. And so that's something that's putting a, putting a deadline on this goal, even though mm-hmm. there is no deadline from my side, there is from one of the why reasons. Yep. So that definitely is motivating. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest motivator, mm-hmm. in relation to that, how important is it for you to spend that time with Brandon in Prague? Okay, so I would say seven or eight. Okay, Just so it's high. pretty high up yep. there. Yep. Yeah. It's like if I don't do it now, it's, a, it's an opportunity lost. Yep, great. Okay. Mm. Okay, well good. Okay, so this is why the interference piece is so important because it really, really helps you see what it is, A, what it is you truly want, also what you need to build back into the resources piece. What skills do you need to develop? So some of your fears, it might be, oh, gosh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to be able to accomplish all of that. Okay, so what skills do you think you need to strengthen within yourself? Hmm. 
Okay, so let's talk about the last step then. Are we ready to go on to that? We are. Okay, good. So the last step is really, given everything you've put down, what's the activity? What are the steps you need to take to actually ensure that this does happen? Okay, so these are steps that I could take just for myself or they're steps that could involve other people, right? Both, yes. Okay, so, so for example, like one of the first steps might be just to decide on some dates to actually set, mark out some dates in my calendar mm-hmm. for when that trip is going to happen. Yep. Okay, and I can imagine that would be, just, just doing just even that, would be quite uh, motivating and useful moving forward because if I just set those dates in my mind, I know that I've got another friend in the UK and she might be interested in coming over just to, to visit while I'm in Prague or traveling around a little bit. I've got friends here who might be thinking of coming to Perth and I just want to make sure that they don't come over while I'm away. Perfect. So just setting up those dates, it's just useful in its, just in its own right. And, and starts the whole juices flowing and, yes. and the creative process starts unfolding quite naturally, doesn't it? Yes, and I'm just projecting ahead again. So it also means that then I, I can say no to or I can shift things around to other things so that, that they yes. don't interfere with those dates. That's it. Whereas what I've done in the past is just wait till it's too late and then try to squeeze things like this in mm. um, when I've made other commitments. Aha, uh-huh. there we are. Perfect. So that's good to know. Mm. Cool. So what uh, other activities? Um, and then going into the logistics things, like looking at, looking at accommodation, contacting Brandon, making sure he's going to be around. Um, organizing flights at some point, mm-hmm. um, and then things things related to the business, like tidying up things in the business so that they so it's easier to run while I'm away. Yep. Okay. So again, I come back to this question, Erica. So I've got, in my case, for this goal, it seems pretty obvious. What if you're not sure about what the activities are? Um, I go back to my original answer. Mm-hmm. If one of the questions I always ask with a goal is. In relation to the goal, is it humanly possible? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. It's always useful to ask that one. Because okay. um, <laughs> some people have goals that are not actually humanly possible. Um, and do you know anybody or know of anybody who's already achieved this goal? Okay. And what are the steps that they took? Right. Okay. Now, and you don't necessarily do exactly what they did, but it will give you some ideas. My advice is with this is is do your best with it. But if there's some intractable um, beliefs or, or interferences that, that you can't see a way through, do get help. Don't give up on your goals. Mm, okay. Just seek some, seek some support around it and, and move through whatever you need to move through. Right, good. So we've got, the, we've got to the end of this process, Erica. We've been through all the six steps. Let me just summarise them again. So what do I want? Why do I want it? How will I know I've got it? What resources do I need and have? What could get in the way or could stop it? And what are the action steps? So we've, we've, we, as we went through even my goal, we talked about some other things as well. Do you think there's anything really important that we haven't yet covered about this process? There is. Mm-hmm. Once you've got your action steps, schedule it. Put it in your diary, put reminders up, tell people about it, get whatever support you need around you to ensure that you stay consistently in train with it and read your goal regularly. So this is why writing it down is so important because then you want to be reading it regularly depending on the level of importance. So if it's something that's really um, quite urgent that you get done, read it very regularly. If it's a much longer-term goal, then review it once a month and make sure that you're still on track with your action steps and all of that. Okay. And 
you. Now, you talked about getting support. Yes. And I know that one of the things you do is coaching, one-on-one coaching. You do some mentoring and speaking as well. Uh, you've been my coach, and it's helped me a lot uh, when, we, when we went through some of my goals. Actually, just, to, just to finish off, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So um, you can telephone me. I'm based in Sydney, so the telephone number is 2 Double nine two three one eight five two, or email me at erica at thealignmentgroup.com or my website, which is www.thealignmentgroup.com. I hope you found that useful. If you'd like to listen to the full one-hour program, as I said, it's called Creating Certainty. You can order it from my website at gihanperera.com. Or, if you're a member of my eGurus community, you can download it free as part of your membership inside the eGurus community. Now let's turn to an internet-related topic. It's the start of the year, and I know that many Australian businesses, especially in retail, are struggling. So some of them had poor Christmas and post-Christmas sales, uh, and those are the things that would normally get them through. But even some of those who did have good results in the last few weeks aren't particularly optimistic about 2012. Now some of this is stuff outside their control, like the strong Australian dollar or the weak euro, and other things that mean that people aren't shopping in their stores anymore. But part of this is due to the internet, and a lot of that is within their control. Now, just over a year ago, I predicted that 2001 would be the year that e-commerce becomes mainstream in Australia. And that's exactly what's happened. So ordinary consumers have realized that the internet could be a safe place to buy and it's not so scary. And so, of course, they turned to it. But it's more than just buying stuff online. It's also about the relationship that you have with your customers. I think that for too long, many Australian businesses have had it too good. But now things have changed and they're facing competition, not only from other businesses in the same suburb, or next door to them, but other businesses around the world. So let me explain what's changed, and I'll describe it using what I wrote in the introduction to my book, Fast, Flat and Free, because I think those are the three things that have changed. The world's become faster, the world is flat, it's easier for other people to muscle in on your market, and people expect things free or at very low cost. So let's start with a little metaphor that I remember learning in high school. I learned that the gravitational attraction between two planets depends on three things, the size of the first planet, the size of the second planet and how close they are to each other. So the bigger they are or the closer they are, the greater the force between them. Now, I think the same applies to your marketing. Your success depends on three things. The quality of what you sell in your business, so who you are and what you sell, the strength of your market and how well you connect your market to your business. Now, of course, you might say there's nothing new. It's always been the case and I think that's true but now you need a different different strategy for managing your business your market and your marketing and then you also need different tactics for executing their strategy now the key is to realize that internet marketing is not just about marketing it's also about you and your business and your market too many people focus on the latest technology and they get distracted by it they think about what's going to revolutionize the way their business operates but it's really about the technology alone it's about how you use the technology to connect with people and to do business so get your strategy right in all these three areas become an authority build a community and sell with respect. So let's look at that. First of all, become an authority. The first change is in your business. You now need to position yourself as an authority, not just a supplier. That means that people know you, they like you, and they trust you. So that means three things. For them to know you, show your face, not just your brand. For them to like you, lead with value, not just with hype. And for them to trust you, invest in reputation, not just in advertising. 
So that's the first three. The second area is building a community, and that's about understanding your market, where you need to build a community, not just a bunch of customers. So this also has three components, choosing them, understanding them, and connecting them. So here are the three important shifts you need to think about now. So in choosing them, serve a niche, not the mass market. In understanding them, give them what they want, not just what you've got. And lastly, connect them. Build your tribe. Don't just chase the crowd. And the last one is selling with respect. So when you're an authority in the community, you don't need to sell in the traditional way. Rather, you become a trusted advisor that they respect. And that's what you should aim for. So here are the three things that are going to make a difference. So give first. So make connections, not just transactions. Show them why. So set buying frames instead of force-feeding features and benefits. And Lastly, offer more, which is delivering experiences, not just products and services. So I've talked about nine principles there. Let me give an example which will make some of those things a little bit more real. So let's look at an example of a small boutique winery that needs to compete with large liquor outlets. So you might be a smaller business, but you've got to compete with somebody who's got a lot more money, a better distribution, and a bigger brand. So let's take one of my favorite wineries in the Margaret River region. It's Capel Vale Winery. It was one of the earliest to spring up in the area, and even now it's leading the way, this time with their online marketing. So let's consider some other ways that a winery like Capel Vale could position itself online, using the nine principles that I've just talked about. So for each of those nine principles, I'm going to give you one, sometimes two examples, how they could use the internet to improve their online marketing and online positioning. They're just a few samples, but I'm sure you can think of some others yourself. So principle number one, show your face. Many boutique wineries are family business or you know the owner personally. So the winery should emphasize that, the people behind the business. For example, you could create a short welcome video for the website's homepage presented by the winemaker. And by the way, that's much more welcoming than most winery homepages, which just shows some photographs of the wine on the grapes or the winery grounds. Principle two, lead with value. Because the winery is small, it knows this wine extremely well and can offer very good advice about how customers should enjoy the wines. For example, they could write an e-book with tips for matching certain wine with certain food, or they could create YouTube videos about decanting, pouring and enjoying wine. Number three, invest in reputation. A boutique winery can build its own reputation rather than having to rely on the reputation imposed by a franchise owner or a head office. For example, you could create a Facebook business page about the joys of wine and have discussions on there. You could also contribute to other online forums, the ones that already exist, about things like responsible drinking. Number four, serve a niche. So the winery can cater to specific niche markets without, by the way, excluding anybody else. For example, it can target people who are new to wine by sending them a wine tip of the week through something like, say, Twitter. Number five, give them what they want. A boutique winery like Capel Vale can not only ask what customers want, but it can deliver it as well because it's not bound by corporate policies. And again, it doesn't have to do everything according to what head office says. For example, it can send a survey to its email newsletter subscribers or it can participate in online forums related to their niche markets. Number six, build your tribe. So customers already feel a stronger affinity for a boutique winery, so it's not difficult for the winery to make them feel special, but it still needs to do something. For example, they can give customers a voucher if they refer a friend, and of course they give the friend a voucher as well, which means it's more likely that both of you are going to come back. You could create a free Friends of the Winery membership and give members special deals.
Number seven is make connections. Wineries find that some visitors only take part in the free tastings but never buy anything. However, the winery has to treat them as just as important as anybody else because they could well be future customers. And the same uh, applies online. For example, the winery could invite site visitors to subscribe to an email newsletter. In fact, Capel Vale Winery, when you visit the winery, uh, right near where you do the wine tastings, they have a little form which asks you to subscribe to their email newsletter. But they should do it online as well. You could send subscribers a free recipe from some time later, and it would be a recipe of something where, of course, you get the chance to promote a wine that you would drink when you eat that food. Number eight, set buying frames. Buying frames are about helping people who visit your website make a buying decision. So website visitors who see a large range of wines might be confused. So the winery should explain why they should buy certain wines and at certain times. For example, it could do some obvious things like matching certain wines to certain types of food or matching wines to certain occasions. They're simple things, but most winery websites don't do this. Number nine and last one is delivering experiences. The winery can create a boutique buying experience on the internet. For example, it could offer personalized wine labels where customers can upload a photograph and have it added to the wine label on the bottle that they order. In fact, I know somebody who does this. They don't run a winery, but they run a marketing business and they do this. And they find that people keep the bottles even after they drink the wine. As you can see, most of these ideas are easy and inexpensive. They just require the right mindset. And that's exactly how you should approach your online presence as well. Don't think of the most complex technology you can use. Instead, think of how you could provide a more boutique experience in your business, both on and off the internet. Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works, but most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. That's fastflatandfree.com. I asked my clients recently to tell me what they would most like to learn about in 2012, and the number one response in the list of topics was how to present webinars. And I also asked them how they would most like to learn from me in 2012, and the number one way was by me delivering webinars. Now, that doesn't surprise me. Webinars really are hot right now. They're a wonderful way of delivering a message or promoting your products and services. But many people, even experienced presenters, are worried about how to run them effectively. Now, I recently ran a webinar called Your Very first webinar. It was one of the most popular ones that I ran. It was all about how to get started with webinars. As I said, it was very well attended, but if you missed it, you can find the recording on my YouTube channel at gihanperera.tv. To whet your appetite for it, here's an extract from that webinar, where I explain how you can simplify your very first webinar to prevent problems from occurring. For running a first webinar, the thing that I reckon you should do is simplify it. Because quite often, the problem is not that things go wrong, but the problem is you're concerned that things might go wrong. So that's the thing to be aware of. And I find with a number of my clients, it's not so much that things go wrong, but they're worried about things go wrong, uh, going wrong. And so that either holds them back from getting started, or when they start, they're, they're quite nervous about managing the technology, and so they fumble around, and then something else goes wrong simply because they're worried about things that might have gone wrong. I love this quote that's been attributed to Mark Twain and a few other people. Um, who said, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which have never happened. I reckon we're in this position now where you can worry about a lot of things that could go wrong, and a lot of things could go wrong. So the way you get around that is you make sure you just simplify. So what I recommend that you do for your very first webinar is that you don't try to do everything. Don't try to you know, climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow in every rainbow. That's not what you should do for your very first webinar. See, there are two ways that you could do this. 
if you think about um, the way that you could run your webinar, there are two things that you could do. You could either be a great mountain climber and you tackle the, the, the most challenging mountains in the world and you have all the right equipment, you have all the right training, you have all the right support team, you have all of that to make sure that if things go wrong, then you're still going to be safe or you could take an easy hike. All right, so where you don't, you can do it by yourself, you, can, uh, you don't have to have any special equipment, you just take a nice le leisurely stroll. And what I'm going to recommend is that when you get started for your first webinar, do the nice leisurely stroll. Now, that may seem so obvious, like everyone's just going to go, well, duh. Uh, however, you might be surprised how many people overcomplicate their lives by trying to stuff too much into their first webinar or their first few webinars until they're comfortable with the technology. So let me give you some specific things. So it's some contrast between what the, the crack mountain climber would do and doing it taking an easy stroll. So here are some things that are they're doable and I do them frequently in my webinars, but I would not recommend that you do for your very first webinar. Don't charge money for it. Don't invite everybody on the planet, even if you could reach them. Um, don't turn on audience microphones um, because that just increases the chances that the, some audience member is going to take you off track. Don't run multiple windows where you're switching between your PowerPoint show and, your, uh, and a web browser window and, your, and an Excel spreadsheet or a Word document or a PDF file. Don't do that. Don't have multiple presenters. Don't even have the idea whether you have one person as a guest or an, another person as a host because then you've got the, the challenge of multiple presenters that more things that can go wrong. You have to think about switching microphones, switching screens between them. So instead of that, start off by taking a nice easy stroll. So make your first webinar free. Make it private. So invite uh, only select people to it. So they might be your top clients or they might even be your colleagues or your friends so that you've got a nice easy audience that you're presenting to. Take all your questions as written questions, so either people type questions in the question box during the webinar or even ask people to send you questions beforehand. Run your PowerPoint only, PowerPoint or Keynote, don't try to uh, run multiple windows, and just have one presenter, which is you. Okay, so really simplify it for your very first webinar. This is obviously not the way that you're going to run uh, every webinar that you run in the future, but it's a great way to get started. So let me clarify some of the things that you don't have to worry about. A couple of weeks ago, I went down to um, the Margaret River region, uh, just south of Perth, uh, about three hours south of Perth, and we went to some wineries. And I remember this one in particular, Brown Hill, which is just basically a tin shed. So some of the wineries are beautiful. They have fantastic restaurants overlooking a lake. But this one, great wines, but it's just basically a big tin shed. And they opened the door a tiny little bit, just enough for us to enter. Okay, and that's really what I want to get you to do today is get started with webinars and just open the door enough to get started and so you can get comfortable and familiar with it. You're not going to open the door fully and do absolutely everything that you could do with a webinar. So, for example, some of the things that you don't have to worry about when before the webinar, you don't have to write a persuasive sales letter, you don't have to set up a shopping cart and an affiliate system, you don't have to advertise on social media and write, it, uh, write your tweets in such a way that other people are going to retweet it, you don't have to prepare a handout and send it to people or get them to download it. When you're actually running the webinar, you don't have to do live demos like switching to a web browser window, you don't have to turn on audience microphones, you don't have to get the chat room to see what people are saying, you don't have to run polls, you don't have to switch between different presenters, and afterwards you don't have to worry about sending out a feedback survey. So all of that stuff you don't have to do. Right? Now, although I'm saying you don't have to do all of this stuff, it is actually very reassuring to know that you can run, you can still run effective webinars without this. And this is some of the things that now you may decide for your second webinar you might start bringing in some of these some of these features. But for the for the first one, 
I recommend don't do any of this stuff. Just simplify your life so that as few things as possible can go wrong, which means that you're not worried about it. You can focus on delivering a great presentation. As I mentioned, the full webinar is available free on my YouTube channel at gihanperera.tv. You can also find it on the show notes for this episode at expertgoldradio.com. Webinars are a powerful tool for marketing, training, coaching, and customer service, all from the comfort of your home or office. Get Gihan's book, Webinar Smarts, from webinarsmarts.com and tap into the awesome power of webinars. That's webinarsmarts.com. Last year, my friend Chris Padney and I published a book called Out of Office. It shows you how to tap into the power of the internet to improve your work life. It shows you how to escape from working full-time in an office and either work part-time from home, full-time from home, or even live a life where you can work from virtually anywhere. Now, one of the most popular topics we covered in the book was email productivity. Of course, that's important for all of us, but especially if you're working away from the office because email is one of your most important communication tools. So in this next segment, Chris and I talk about how to manage an overflowing inbox. email is 40 years old. This year, it's become something that a lot of people think of as old technology on the internet, and yet it's something that people still use every every day, and uh, lots of people like it, and many more people don't like it, and they feel overwhelmed by it. Absolutely. This guy, Dan Tynan, uh, wrote an article in IT World recently, which he entitled Seven Days in Email Hell, and it was all about his efforts to try and get his inbox under control. He receives hundreds of emails a day, and he just can't get through them all. And as a consequence, he had some twenty to 30,000 unread emails in his Gmail account. And so he spent seven days trying to get on top of that. But he went about it uh, completely the wrong way. He tried to process each and every email individually, and that included replying to spam in some cases. So we're going to come up uh, with uh, a few principles and some practical tips for you today that don't involve uh, sending yourself to email hell. Yeah, that's right. And, and there are lots of people who have got lots of different email tips and email productivity tips. So these are ours, and they're really based around the idea that email doesn't have to be something that you that you hate and that you despise, but it's something that can you, really work well for you and work effectively for you. Absolutely. And so the first thing that you need to do is change your mindset, and that is not to think of your incoming email as a bad thing, it's something that's a creates a hell for you. Um, so the problem isn't actually with the email itself. It's with the kind of email that you get and the way that you perceive it and the way that you manage it. And the different kinds of email that we get include bad email like unwanted spam and chain letters, unnecessary sorts of email where people have thought that you need to be CC'd on a particular thread where it's actually not relevant to you and just waste your time having to read it and process it, or e-zines that you've subscribed to but you actually never get around to reading so they don't offer you any value and they detract from your productivity because you have to process them in some way, or notifications that you get from various social media platforms that you might be members of like notifications from Facebook or LinkedIn. And uh, some of those unproductive emails that you might get from friends who think that you share, they sh- that you share their sense of humour, they send you various jokes and funny images, I do that myself actually, or members of your staff uh, just checking in and letting you know what they've been up to uh, and, uh, and, and not, not having to do that because you haven't delegated uh, their tasks very well. So that's the bad email and then there's the way that you actually perceive your email, the way that you think of it. So. One of the big problems, the key problems that we think, is that people think of email as something that is an immediate communications channel that they've actually got to deal with it as soon as it arrives, whereas, in fact, email, by its design, is actually a deferred communications channel. So the email gets sent, you receive it at some later point of time. You don't have to deal with it immediately. You can deal with it later. So whenever an email arrives, you really need to ask yourself, do I need to deal with this immediately? 
uh, because it might not necessarily be important and it should never be urgent. Uh, and finally, uh, there's the way you actually manage and react to email that you receive. So uh, many people do react to it immediately. So what they end up doing is um, working according to other people's priorities rather than their own. Um, and we keep checking for it. So if you've got notifications turned on, you receive a distraction whenever email arrives, uh, rather than checking for email when you're ready to do, uh, ready to do it and doing it on your own time. And finally, uh, you manage it poorly. Uh, you can feel overwhelmed by it. You can end up, like Dan Tynan, with tens of thousands of unread emails that uh, uh, make you feel that you are overwhelmed. And finally, you could be the problem yourself. You could be sending emails that are uh, deleterious to other people's productivity. Yeah, that's quite a good summary of the problems, Chris. So, so we're going to actually get into some really specific things that you can do and some really specific email tactics. But let's start off with some, some productivity principles. First of all, just keep in mind that your inbox, your email inbox, is not about your priorities. It's about other people's priorities. So stop being their slave and take control of your life first. So that's the first thing. Don't think of your inbox as your to-do list because that's other people's to-do list, in fact. The second thing, Chris, you've already mentioned, that emails were deferred, not immediate communication. So if you're getting into this state of sending emails back and forth or thinking that you have to respond to and reply to everything immediately, don't. So stop reacting and start responding, which is a very different mindset. And the third thing is that people think of email as being their main communication channel. And just remember that it's just one of many communication channels. So sometimes you just stop. Like don't send email anymore. Use some, something else instead. So those three principles are other people's priorities, it's deferred, not immediate communication, and it's just one of the communication channels. Yeah, okay. So the next section we're going to discuss, uh, you've labelled clean out the pipes, Gihan, and it's all about trying to eliminate the negative aspects of your email and your inbox. So do you want to kick off with the, the first one of those? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got five things here, and we look for five words starting with you, and we found four, and then one for one starting with the high. So we almost got there. The first thing is unnecessary email. So as you said, email newsletters we never read, notifications from services like Facebook and LinkedIn. So those are, in some ways, the easiest things for you to handle. Because all you do is if you don't read the newsletter, just cancel the, cancel the subscription. Um, and if the newsletter doesn't give you a way of cancelling it, um, have some way of filtering it so that when it arrives, it just gets junk straight away. It's fairly easy to do, and you do it once, and then you never see those emails again. Similarly, with things like Facebook, Twitter now, and, and LinkedIn, they, by default, will send you various notifications. But you don't have to uh, receive them, so you can turn off almost all your Facebook notifications. With LinkedIn, you can turn off notifications. You can even specify the frequency at which you get them. So if you join a LinkedIn group, for example, you can say whether you want to get emails as, they, as they're generated or once a day or once a week or not at all. Um, so you've got some control over that, and these are easy things for you to turn off. So, so go into those services, so just log into those websites and just turn off all that email. Uh, I know there are people who complain about how much email they're getting from these services, but it's very, that's completely under your control and the easiest thing for you to be able to, to eliminate. Yeah, so the second kind of negative email is probably the one that we're most familiar with is the unwanted spam. Uh, that's uh, those bulk unsolicited emails that uh, clog up our inboxes. These days, pretty much all email clients come with their own spam detection filters. So if you haven't turned them on already, start using them. If uh, you haven't got it at the point of your email client, then many ISPs also provide email filtering as well, uh, spam filtering as well. And it's got to the point these days where, whereby spam filters are so effective 
that we're actually starting to see a decline in the volume of spam that's being sent annually. There's several reasons for that, but certainly the improved effectiveness of spam filters has been cited as one of the reasons for the, uh, the actual diminution of the volume of spam that's being sent. So get rid of those, uh, those unwanted spams, just get them sent straight to a spam folder by using automatic spam detection filters. Yeah, look, at the other point I'd make about that is that we're talking about email productivity here, and all those spam just fill up your email and it forces you to delete those messages. That's not really the biggest productivity problem that people have. So, yep, absolutely figure out a way to delete your spam, but understand that that's just deleting that alone. It'll reduce the amount of email, but not the amount of email that you have to actually handle. So some of these other ideas are going to be are still going to be important. So the third one we're talking about is inappropriate email or misdirected email. And when you think about inappropriate email, you're generally thinking about people uh, gossiping or, or worse. So we're definitely talking about that. So we should definitely not have those sort of email uh, those sort of things passed around by email. But really what we're talking about broadly is email that can be handled by other channels and should be handled by other channels. So things there are things that should never be sent by email because they're inappropriate. And there are things like gossip or things that you don't want to put in writing and you just forget that email is writing. But there are other things as well. So a number of newsletters now allow you to also subscribe to an RSS version of them. And whenever possible, if I go to a website and I like, what, uh, and I like the site, and if they've got an email newsletter and an RSS version, uh, which is a blog, basically, then I would much rather subscribe to the blog because it doesn't clog up my incoming email. So that's one thing you can do. So look around for all the newsletters that you're subscribed to, all the other services, like, say, Google Alerts, and just figure out whether you can get an RSS version of it as well uh, or as an alternative, and then choose that instead because it means that it comes to through another channel and doesn't clog up your inbox. Absolutely, and the next negative kind of email worth cleaning out are those unproductive messages that people send you. So an example of that... Uh, as you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned earlier, things like jokes or funny images, uh, people sending around forwarding chain letters that they've been sucked into sending to everybody in their um, in their in their address list, or members of uh, your team checking in with you by because uh, things haven't been delegated properly. For example, thinking that you need to be CC'd on a particular message about something they're doing at work, when actually what they're doing isn't particularly relevant to you at that particular point. So those irrelevant CCs where People have erred on the side of caution and thought, well, let's CC absolutely everyone involved in this project to tell them about a minor activity that they might be involved in. So the remedy here is to ask people to stop. Um, and a good example of that, Gihan, is I used to be one of those people who emailed around jokes and time wasters. Um, I had a blog, I still have a blog called I Know Funny. I used to forward the contents of that blog uh, to various people who I thought shared my sense of humour. And then one day, you asked me to stop. And uh, by this time... RSS web feeds were well established, so following on from stopping sending you that, I also set up uh, means for people to use sub subscribe to a web feed. I pointed everyone to the web feed, and those people who did actually share my sense of humour, uh, only a handful of people as it turned out, subscribed to the web feed rather than me wasting their time by sending them stuff they perhaps didn't want clogging up their, their inbox. And the other thing is chain letters. Uh, a lot of people get sucked into forwarding chain letters, and they're just they're complete um, furfies. And there are websites dedicated to uh, debunking this kind of nonsense. So whenever I receive a chain letter, I typically reply to the sender, uh, usually well-meaning, but uh, and, and point out to them sites like hoaxbusters.com and snopes.com, which lets them informs them that they should check the source of these chain letters before they forward to them to everybody that they know.
Yeah, look, actually, that's quite interesting, Chris, because when you started talking about I Know Funny, I can't remember telling you to stop, but obviously I must have. What did I say? Did I say, uh, politely, please don't send this to me? I'd, I'll read it on your blog. Is that what I said? Uh, no, you, uh, similar to that, you, you were polite, as you always are, Gihan. But by this time, uh, there was a, a web feed available, which is automatic with uh, blogger blogs. So you'd subscribe to the web feed, I think, or you told me you'd subscribe to the web feed. And, yeah, so that triggered me triggered me to just bring that web feed to everyone else's attention and, and ask them if they want, if they really do want this stuff, to subscribe to the web feed. So, yeah, you were polite about it. You said you were reading the web feed instead, and that's exactly uh, one of those switching channels that you've done. So the previous point about switching channels uh, is exactly right. Subscribe to someone's blog's web feed. Don't get it sent to you by email. Mm, I guess another polite way of uh, avoiding this sort of, mess- uh, this sort of email is if, if you don't have an alternative available, is simply to say, look, I'm just getting, I'm getting swamped with email, so I'm trying to reduce my amount of email, so I'm trying to eliminate as much personal email as possible, so please don't send personal messages. Yeah. And so that's one thing you could do. So then that actually leads on to uh, uh, last of the five ways to, to eliminate the negatives, and that's unimportant email, or we should say less important, because we're not talking about only things that are uh, completely unimportant, a complete waste of time, but they might be less important. So things like newsletters that you do read, but that you read occasionally, and some other notifications that you want to, you still want to be notified, but they don't have to be a high priority. And if possible, well, there the are two things that you could do here. One is you could filter them, so automatically uh, set up your email program to filter so that as the email comes in, it automatically goes into a specific folder. So you can do that by subject line, for example. And one of the tricks that I use is whenever I subscribe to a newsletter, I have a particular email address that I always use for this for that subscription. It's simply just ezines at firststep.com.au or ezines at gihanperera.com. And I subscribe to all my email newsletters that way and set up Microsoft Outlook so that any email coming to that address uh, automatically gets filtered into a reading folder so that all my newsletter subscriptions go into that reading folder automatically and then I can look at that at, at my leisure. So it's, it's important but less important than some of the other email. And there are other tricks that you could do as well. There are uh, I mentioned earlier that LinkedIn allows you to get a digest. So you can say, give me a weekly summary of all the emails that have come through um, on a, for a particular group. So I could read them um, in one – so I get one email for them, which is a long email, but I'd rather get that than be interrupted by lots of emails coming through during the week. So if you've got unimportant or less important email, there are ways that you could filter it so that it doesn't clog up your inbox and doesn't clog up your attention so that uh, it's a lower priority. So we, so we talked about this idea now of eliminating the bad email. So, so – if you do, if you put these ideas into practice, then what you should end up with is an inbox that's got less of the bad stuff and more of the, the relevant stuff that you do have to handle. In the book, we go into even more detail about what to do after you've stemmed the flow of incoming email. But even if you do nothing else, I hope you found that discussion useful to help you get control of your inbox. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere, your home, an office, an internet cafe, or even a city on the other side of the world? The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. Learn how to be portable, stay productive, and run a profitable business. Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. That's outofofficebook.com. Earlier in the program, I mentioned my eGurus community. That's my private membership site for thought leaders, infopreneurs, and business professionals. Members of the community pay $50 a month, and they get access to me and many of my resources. Now, I recently asked my eGurus members to tell me what topics they were most interested in learning about in 2012. Here are the top 10 responses in order. Number one, webinars, then membership sites, e-learning programs, online courses, video, promotional websites, e-books, newsletters, books, 
and audio programs. I wonder whether you're interested in the same things. I'll be using this list to map out the eGurus curriculum for 2012, including the webinars that I run every month for members. In fact, we're going to start next month with a special members-only webinar in February where we look at your whole e-learning strategy. I'll help you plan how to create the electronic products that you can use to sell individually or bundle together with your other programs. I'll show you how to identify what's going to be most profitable for you. I'll show you how to map out a strategy to build them and then how to incorporate them into your business planning. If you're an eGurus member, log into the eGurus site and you can register there. If you'd like a head start on that, by the way, you can log into the eGurus site and download the ebook, Your eLearning Strategy, which helps you get started with this plan. If you're an eGurus member, also look out for some mastermind groups and forums, which will be starting very soon. That's another of the ways that you said you'd like to learn, so I'll be setting that up for you starting from March. Before I finish up, I'd like to also tell you about my two-day Build Your Website in Two Days workshop, which is coming up in Sydney on Monday the 26th and Tuesday the 27th of March. If you want to build a website for your business or even for one specific product, service or market, this is the ideal way to do it. You'll get a professional website with a newsletter, a blog, a shopping cart, passwords and much more. And more importantly, you're building it yourself, which means that you have full control of it for the future. And you learn it once and you can even build more websites yourself later. So you can find out more at the website buildyourwebsiteintwodays.com. There's an early bird special at the moment with a discount of $300 and that applies if you book by the 10th of February and that means that you get the entire two-day workshop for just over $1,100. That's buildyourwebsiteintwodays.com. So my final thought for this episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show is this. Start before you're ready. 20 years ago, when I was working as a programmer for a small software company in Perth, we won a contract to build software for an optical fiber undersea cable system between Hong Kong and Taiwan. And this actually was part of the early internet. And as part of that project, I spent six weeks in Hong Kong doing the final installation and testing of our system. It was actually the most challenging time in my work life, because sometimes we worked 17-hour days, but it was also very rewarding. And if you think about it, today we take it for granted that we can go to a website, click a little blue link on a page, and instantly jump to another website on the other side of the world. But in 1991, we had much more primitive technology, and that sort of connectivity was still a dream. And it was a major achievement for us just to get a single dial-up telephone connection between the monitoring station in Hong Kong and our office in Perth. I still remember talking to the local technicians in Hong Kong. At the time, they were telling me about the next cable they would be installing in a few years' time. It was going to be faster, cheaper, more reliable, and would render the current cable obsolete. In fact, even as we were installing our system, we knew it was being superseded. So why did we bother? We had a slower, more expensive and less reliable system. Why did we do it? Because if we had waited for the perfect time with the perfect technology, we'd never have got started. And if everybody in the industry had taken that attitude, we wouldn't actually have an internet at all. And that's the point. The world's moving so quickly today, it's inevitable that what you do today will be obsolete tomorrow. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't start. In fact, it's just the opposite. Start before you're ready. If you're waiting for the perfect moment, you'll be waiting a long time. The perfect moment is now. So that's it for the January 2012 Expert Gold Radio Show. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something you can use in your business. Thank you to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for helping with the voiceovers. I look forward to having you join us again in February. That's it from me. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember... Great minds don't think alike.